0: We are going to continue on a series that we've started a few weeks ago in uh, 1 Timothy. Today we're in chapter 5. We're going to cover all of chapter 5. It's kind of a big chunk, uh, but Christmas is upon us, and we need to work through it fairly quickly. Uh, But I think we can cover all the basic principles today and see some things that I think will be beneficial to us as individuals and to us as a body of Christ. Uh, Again, this is a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote To his brother Timothy, his not physical brother, but his younger brother in the faith, Timothy, uh, whom he probably led to Christ. Uh, Timothy is now pastoring the church in Ephesus, and Paul is writing to Pastor Timothy uh, to just give him some things about how to uh, uh, have and build a healthy church. And today we're going to talk specifically about relating to others in the church. Now, while Paul is specifically writing to Timothy, the pastor, uh, we can see that many of these principles that we look at today really apply to all of us. Uh, they're not just for pastors. Uh, when the Bible says to love others, it doesn't mean just pastors, but it means everybody. And so we will see what the Bible talks about on how we should relate to one another in the body of Christ. You know, uh, many times our news uh, all we hear is how we badly relate to one another. There's a lot of bad news in the world today, and that's why next week we're going to have a, a Sunday we call Good News Sunday, where you can bring uh, your friends and your neighbors, your loved ones who are far from God, and have them hear the good news. And They'll actually hear it twice that day, but it'll be very beneficial for them, so I'll be sure and pray for them and invite them next week. But there are some places uh, where our culture does really relate to others well. Um, And we are kind to one another. Uh, I think about this sign. I was thinking about signs this week and parking signs. Listen, nobody's against, I I don't think, uh, nobody's against uh, people with handicaps having closer parking spots. Uh, Now, there are so many signs at Walmart. I have to park like 50 spots out because they're all like a row of signs, but that's okay. I've got some encouragement here. Uh, but that's one of those signs. But, you know, these signs are getting kind of popular. There are other signs. Uh, this one has now popped up, veteran parking only. Thank you for your service. Uh, whenever I see uh, someone with one of those hats on, you know, from World War II or, or uh, uh, the Korean War or Vietnam, I always go and thank them for their service. I'm glad to let them have uh, good parking spots. So that's kind of good. I like the way we relate to those. Here's one reserved for expectant mothers. Now, I got to be honest, uh, you guys got to, ladies have kind of a leg up here because, um, you know, you can park in these spots. I mean, who's going to question you, right? I mean, you, you got to, you know, there's a reserve spot. But I, lo- I love having uh, spots for expectant mothers. I think that's wonderful. And I think that's a great way for our uh, community to relate to one another. Also, there's this one now, reserved for combat wounded. If you have earned a Purple Heart in the service of your country, um, you are entitled uh, to a better parking spot. And I, I, for one, am very happy about that. But I'm kind of excited because there's a couple of other signs this week that I noticed. This one. Clergy parking only. Now, it says down at the bottom, if you can't read it, violators will be forgiven. I'd like it to say something else there, but we won't talk about that right now. Uh, But this is the problem is, this sign is only uh, in hospitals um, and places like that. We get a a, a prime parking spot. But this is one, I I got really excited this week when I saw this sign, because I'm like, "This, this is my sign. They got a sign now for guys, fat guys who grill. And so... And so now if you consider yourself a fat guy and you like grilling, you can park in these spots. And I I thought it was a long time coming, but it's about time. I'm excited. I hope Smokehouse gets one of these really quickly. Now that's funny, I hope, uh, but, uh, you know, we really need to think about how we relate to one another. We really need to uh, talk about and think about and and be uh, somewhat uh, uh, thoughtful about how we relate uh, to each other because it's important. In fact, Paul's going to write to Timothy right here. We're not going to read the whole passage through because it's so long uh, today. We're going to read it every, every bit of it as we go. But I want you to see four principles in this passage. And the first one is re- to this one. It's to relate to one another in the church like family. Relate to one another in the church like family. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. It says this. He writes, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers younger women as sisters in all purity. Now, this is an interesting uh, verse because it says a whole lot more than what it says there in just the words. Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, hey, listen, in the body of Christ, we should relate to each other like a family. When you have to talk to an older man, and by the way, all of these things are relative. Back when I was 25, there were a whole lot of older men in the church Now, there are a lot fewer uh, older men in the church for me uh, because I'm getting older, of course. And so wherever you're at in that uh, uh, realm, uh, whether people are older than you or younger than you, it really is talking about where you're at and older or younger. So older men, not just old men, but older men than you, when you rebuke them, don't rebuke them. And that word rebuke comes to a a kind of like a slap in the face, okay? Stop doing this. You need to stop it, okay? We shouldn't rebuke older men like that. When correcting older men, we should do so in an encouraging, kind way, like you would your own father. Now, when he says that, he's really not asking us to think about our own father, but a good father. Thinking about a good father. Some of us have had good fathers, some of us have had not so good fathers. But how would you rebuke an older man who is a good father to you? How would you talk to him about, something that maybe he's not doing well, or he's doing wrong. Perhaps like this. Hey, uh, Joe, listen, man, I, I know last week you were frustrated, but I saw how you snapped at your wife. I saw how you talked to her. Can we talk about that? I'd like to share with you some ways that maybe you could overcome that and speak more kindly and lovingly to your wife. Now, I'm correcting his behavior But I'm approaching it from a a standpoint that I would an older man, a man worthy of respect because of his age and his wisdom. Then he says to uh, approach younger men as brothers. Treat younger men with love, like a younger brother, not some guy off the street. Now, I know depending on your experience, that can mean a lot of different things. I have uh, three grandsons that all come from the same family, and they fight like cats and dogs but I'll tell you, if anybody comes against one of them, they're going to have to fight all three of them. You know what I mean? I mean, they're brothers. They are together. They, they support each other. They love one another. In fact, the two older ones are very sweet with the younger one. There's some years between number two and number three. They're very sweet with the younger when They take good care of him. Uh, they really treat him uh, lovingly. Any correction of a younger brother should come with love and concern being the foundation for the correction. Never judgment never criticism, never anger. It should come as you would approach a brother. Hey, Joe, man, listen, I, I you know, I love you, man. Uh, but you're doing some things that, you know, I, I think are going to be devastating to your life. I want to talk to you about them. I want to encourage you to overcome these. Let me help you. That's how you would approach a younger brother. Then it says, approach older women as mothers. How would you bring an issue of correction up with your mother? I, when I even think about that question, I kind of laugh and I'm like, well, I don't know how that would go. But, but listen, uh, an older woman that you respect and love, that's the way that you should approach her. Uh, this is the way you go about correcting her and encourage an older woman to change her ways. And, and you can do it, it can be done. There are two parts of communication, folks, and I've said it many times there is a content, and there is delivery. And, and people can almost withstand any kind of issue as long as it's wrapped in love and concern and kindness. And then it says, treat younger women as sisters in all purity. Now, that's the only time he uses that phrase, in all purity. Why would he do that? Well, first of all, just like treating younger men like brothers, treat younger women like sisters with love and concern being your heartfelt motive. But this word of caution here about younger women is is a little extra. He says to do it in all purity. Here's why. Listen, sharing life with people brings people closer. We know that. And Paul is cautioning Timothy that when dealing with younger women, he needs to be cautious, even when he's correcting them, that he doesn't get too close. Be close like a sister. He says treat them like a sister with no attraction, no flirtatious speech, no sexual motivations. Talk to them as you would your sister in purity, so that even when you become close friends, you become close like a family, uh, it doesn't lead to other things. Folks, we should all relate to one another in this church like a family. You'll hear me call this the fog family often. I'll, I'll say to people, hey, I'm glad you're now part of the fog family. We'll talk about how the Fog family has to do things or we need to minister to some people or here's an opportunity, Fogg family, to do this. I say it all the time because I believe it. Because I believe it. It's part of my, my thinking. It's part of the culture here, I hope, that we should treat one another as you would family members. And I know we all go, not my family. Okay, <laughs> you know, forget your family and how they treat each other. Treat each other like good family members do or like good families do. And better yet, as God would want us to treat one another. By the way, here's why. All of us should treat each other like brothers and sisters in Christ because we have the same Father. Those of us who have given our lives to Christ, those of us who have crossed the line of faith, we all have the same Father. Now, I know you hear sometimes in the culture, oh, we're all children of God. Uh, Everybody in the world is a child of God. No, they aren't. That's just not true. We are not all children of God. We are all God's creation, but we are not all birthed into God's family. Only when a person understands that they are a sinner, that they've done things to displease God, when they understand that they can't do anything to overcome that themselves, when they understand that God loved us enough to send his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins, And by putting our faith and trust in what he did, not by trying to earn it somehow, not by trying to jump through some hoops or doing religious things, but by only putting our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, we are birthed into God's family. There was a moment in time where you had a physical birth. We could look up your birth certificate. It says so. And there is a moment in time when you decide to put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, where you are birthed into the family of God. You cross that line of faith, and you are birthed into the God's family. And then, and only then, are you a child of God. But folks, once you are, we're now related to one another, We're now brothers and sisters in Christ. We should treat each other like family because we are family. By the way, if you don't like your family, you don't have to go to your family reunion. But if you're a part of God's family, you're gonna be at a family reunion for a long, 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 long time. You better get used to each other. You better learn to like each other, right? And so we see here that Paul specifically tells Timothy how to deal with people, especially when he has to talk to them about issues and problems. But I think it applies to all of us, folks, how we should treat one another, how we should talk to one another, how we should even correct one another in love and concern. The second principle in this passage I see is to make sure to care for true widows in a worthy manner. Make sure to care for true widows in a worthy manner. Now you may ask, what is a true widow? Well, we're going to see in this passage what it is. But let's look at verses 3 through 16. It's kind of a long passage, and we'll read it all, and then we'll come back and hit kind of the highlights of uh, what it means to uh, make sure to care for true widows in a worthy manner. Verses 3 through 16, it says this. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows." All right, there's a lot of stuff there, but let's first define what a true widow is. A true widow is not any woman who has lost her husband in death. That's not what it's calling a true widow here. A true widow has someone with no family at all to take care of them. In fact, here the Bible states very clearly, if they have family, their family should be the ones to care for their mother or grandmother. Folks, if you have an aging mother or grandmother, the Bible's very clear on this, that you should take responsibility for them. You should care for them. If they can't care for themselves, you should care for them. You shouldn't uh, rely on the state or on the church to do that. You should take care of them. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to personally bring them under your roof to live with you, but you do need to see that they are taken care of. In our current culture, we don't uh, always have to move your uh, aging mother-in-law into your house and have her live in the basement. There are many other options, but it's still important to see that they are cared for. In fact, this is so important that in verse eight, it says that anyone who does not care for his own family and especially those of their own household, and by the way, this is in the area of financially, they are worse than an unbeliever. Now, that's a bold statement. What Paul's saying there is, folks, if you have an aging parent and you don't take care of them, in fact, if, if you don't do anything to help them, and you don't care for them, you are worse than somebody who has no knowledge of God. You're worse than somebody who doesn't care anything about God. That's a big, bad, bold statement right there, folks. Men especially, men, we need to take responsibility Financial responsibility for those in our household and for those even in our extended families, if we need to. Now, it doesn't mean women can't work. We're not goofy, crazy people on this, okay? But, men, the responsibility of providing is generally for us. And so, and we work together as a family. But, but, folks, this is important. Don't let your aging parents or grandparents get into some of the places where I've had to go and visit people. They're not good. They're not good at all. And so take care of them. But those who have no family to care for them at all, and if they're at least 60 years of age, and we'll talk about why here in a minute, if they commit to not remarry, if they've been the wife of one husband, and that doesn't mean that she might have had two or three marriages. It it means the same as that phrase for elders previously. So for instance, it's about being a one-man woman, just like for elders, you have to be a one-woman man. All right, and they've been a good example to the body of Christ most of their lives, they have a lot of good works, they have hospitality, they should be cared for by the church. If they have no one else to look out at for for them, if they have no one else to provide for them, they should be cared for by the church. Now these women in the first century were actually enrolled in a ministry of widows. You saw that word being enrolled there. There's actually a list of them. I mean, they they sign up for it. You become uh, an enrolled minister uh, widow minister in the first century church. Now, there's no demand in the in the scripture to have this ministry or to do this ministry. And of course, our, our culture is very different with social security and other things and other ways that people get taken care of. But in the early church, these women cooked meals for the body of Christ. They They did all the potlucks, obviously a Baptist church. They took care of the sick and the needy. And they spent time praying for the needs of the congregation. They were in full-time ministry, basically. They were cared for by the church, and then they were ministering to the church. There's a pretty big caution not to take any younger widows, anyone younger than 60, into this widow ministry. And the reason is that when they are still young enough to remarry, they get remarried. And they walk away from their ministry, and sometimes even the church. That's what it means when it says, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. In other words, they leave their former faith ministry that they committed to. So these widows, when they become in essence uh, uh, under the responsibility of the local church, they committed to not remarry. They committed to be in this ministry for the rest of their lives and to minister to the body of Christ. But, they, but Paul's saying, hey, listen, don't, don't get a 35-year-old woman. Even if her husband's died, don't put her in this ministry. Because, listen, she might be there for a couple of years, and then some handsome dude's going to come along. And she's going to, you know what girls do? They lose their minds when these handsome guys come along, you know, and they swoon them and they woo them. And all of a sudden, she leaves the ministry she committed to, and she goes off with this handsome guy. Now, listen, younger widows ought to go ahead and get married have families, there's no shame in that. There's no, nothing wrong about that. What Paul's saying is don't let them commit to a life of service to the body of Christ and then be tempted away by a pretty face. That's what he's saying. And so we see here, folks, that it's the church's responsibility to care for true widows in a manner that's worthy uh, of God. And so our church should take care of our widows in a manner that's worthy of God. The third thing, principle we see in this passage is this. Honor pastors by paying them what they are worth, but hold them accountable. Honor pastors by paying them what they are worth, but hold them accountable. Look at verses 17 through 23. Here's what it says. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying out of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure." No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now here Paul starts this section by saying, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now this is concerning cash reimbursement. It's it's talking about your pay as a pastor. It It doesn't say give them double honor. It says, consider them worthy of double honor. In other words, in your heart, consider them worthy uh, to make twice what they actually make. Now, our church does this, I think, really well. I think you honor your pastors here really well. Last week at the end of the service, because it's Pastor Appreciation Month, we get one month a year in October, and uh, you all gave us a, a wonderful, generous gift that we deeply appreciate and we're so happy for. And, uh, but really, um, it's, it's not the cash. Uh, it's, it's really that you all honor us that way, that you feel that way about us, that you, you relate that way to us. It's really uh, very moving to us. In this passage, we see that leading elders are the same as preaching elders. Now, some read this verse and assume that there are two sets of elders. There's a ruling or leading group And there's a teaching-preaching group, but that's not really the case in this passage. It says, uh, you know, consider double honor to those who rule well or who lead well, but especially those out of this group who preach and teach or who labor. Now, that means work hard at it. It doesn't mean, wow, Pastor Michael seemed really labored today. No, it doesn't mean that. It just means that they work hard at it. They put time and effort and energy in preaching and teaching God's word. Paul's simply saying when it comes to the pastors of the church, pay them pay them, and pay them fairly, knowing they are providing food for the souls of the body. Now, I want you to know that our church is very healthy in this area. I think we are kindly compensated. Uh, You may not even know how this works in Fellowship of Grace, but there's a small group of people uh, that work kind of between the elders and the congregation every year to uh, set our pay, pay, whether we get a raise or not, all that kind of thing. What's, what's an unhealthy church is when the pastors are saying, hey, we think we deserve this much raise, and the congregation or the people of the congregation say, no, we think you should get this much, and then they have to debate it and find some middle ground. That's a really unhealthy church. I want you to know our, our church is incredibly healthy because generally speaking, may, maybe not every single year out of the last few years when we've been paid, and by the way, every pastor in this church has worked for free before they ever got paid, but but generally, the conversation is, okay, well, we, we, we think we should maybe get a little more. And the people who are representing the congregation say, we think you're worth more. That's a healthy church. We're not reaching or grabbing for money. And the congregation is wanting to bless us more than we're asking to be blessed. That is an incredibly healthy church. It's healthy pastors. It's a healthy congregation. It's a healthy situation. And we are compensated very fairly and generously. We didn't pick this uh, uh, sermon series so we could get to this verse and ask for a raise. It was nothing like that, okay? We also see here, though, that pastors need to be held to a high standard, but a fair standard. We see here that an accusation about an elder should not be entertained unless there are two or three witnesses or some kind of factual proof. Now, we're living in a time where that's no longer uh, necessary, but it's clear here from the scripture that that's demanded for an elder. It's not to let the, uh, the elders have a pass. That's not the reason. But because a false accusation, believed, can cause massive damage to the pastor and his reputation and to the body of Christ. And by the way, people get mad at pastors for all kinds of reasons. for some of you, you may go, what? I I don't understand that. Why would you get mad at your pastor? I, I, I appreciate you thinking that way. But some get very upset, very angry. We have to deal with people sometimes at some very crucial times in their lives, crucial times in their marriage, crucial times with their children. And we give advice that we believe is godly and wise from God's word. But sometimes people really don't want to hear it. And they get very angry. In fact, some of them angry to the point of of violence. Uh, The last church I was in, uh, the pastor was counseling a couple. The man got so angry at the things the pastor suggested that he had to wear a bulletproof vest for six weeks under his his, uh, shirt and had to have armed people in the congregation for six weeks to just let this blow over because somebody made terrible threats. We see occasionally in the news Uh, people going into churches, sometimes it's uh, just random things, but but other times it's because the pastor disappointed somebody or angered somebody for some reason. Listen, we don't set out to anger anybody or upset anybody, but sometimes we have to say things that people don't like to hear. Uh, But when they do get angry, when they do get mad, when they do act that way, and maybe they'll accuse us of something that's not true, congregation needs to be careful not to accept that Unless there are other witnesses. But then it also goes to say, as for those who persist in sin, in other words, it's been confirmed, this pastor is sinning, and he's been approached, like Matthew chapter 18, which says, which is actually the passage on church discipline. Uh, if, if somebody's caught in sin, if they're doing sin, you go to them individually and you try to help them repent. If they don't do that, you take two or three witnesses with you. Try to get them to repent and turn around. If they don't do that, you bring them before the church to try and get them one last time to repent. And if they don't, you put them outside the church and say, if you're going to act like an unbeliever, then go live like an unbeliever. But here, this is talking about specifically pastors. It says, as for those who persist in sin... Rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. The church has to take sin seriously, folks. And this says, listen, uh, our Christianity, we sometimes get the idea that it's a, it's a private thing. Folks, it's not private. It's personal, but it's not private. It's very public, our, our Christianity, it may start in our hearts, but, but it's very public by our, by our behavior. We're going to see that here in a minute, too. Even elders, after following Matthew 18, should be brought in front of the body and rebuked publicly in an effort for repentance to take place, but also, clearly by this passage, to put the fear of God into the rest of the congregation to avoid sin, Now, if that ever happened, God forbid that that ever happens, if it ever happened, the whole point of it would be, wow, the pastor did that, look what's happening to him. Man, I hope I'm never up there. I'm staying as far away from that thing as I can possibly stay. And it's never, never, never in an effort to degrade somebody or to embarrass somebody. It's always in an effort to gain repentance and reconciliation. Then it says, don't prejudge people. Don't prejudge them. Don't be partial. Point out sin evenly and fairly. By the way, we have a tendency of falling into the trap of prejudging someone because someone tells us something. My experience has been, if you come to me and say, hey, Joe did something to me that stinks. You got you to go tell Joe to do the right thing. I'm not saying you're lying, but you're giving me your perception of what the truth is and what happened there. It may be pretty correct, and it may be skewed, maybe skewed by your past, it may be skewed by your experience, it may be skewed by uh, something going on in your life. So before you ever prejudge somebody, you go and talk to Joe and you get the story straight. But don't prejudge, don't be partial. Point out sin evenly and fairly. In fact, it goes on to say, here's the reason why. Both sins and good works are eventually known. Look at verses 24 and 25. It says, the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Now we see here that both sins and good works are the same in the sense of how they're, they're seen. Some sins are out there and apparent to everybody, right? Especially if you put a bunch of bad language on your Facebook or you put pictures of you drunk and falling down on your Facebook or, or you put some really hateful things on your Facebook. That's just apparent to everybody, By the way, every time I say that, like three people come to me and go, did you see my Facebook this week? Did you see my Facebook? I'm not talking about anybody specifically, okay? I'm not talking about anybody specifically. I'm just saying we just do some really foolish things sometimes, and we put those out there for God and everybody to see. Some, Some sins are more hidden. They're more private. But, folks, eventually, those are known. Those are eventually known. Some good works are out there for everybody to see. For instance, a couple of weeks ago, one of our community groups, uh, I think 100 or 150 lunches, they took over to Kansas City, Kansas, and they passed them out to homeless people there. Just, just, just told them God loves them, I gave them a little tract, to told them about Jesus, and gave them lunch. Didn't ask for anything in return. Didn't ask to be, you know, anything sort of... Well, on Facebook, Kansas City, Kansas, some government agency uh, posted some pictures of them and what they did. It's out there public. It's for everybody to see. Those good works are out there just like our sins are sometimes. But many of our good works will go unseen for a while. But again, eventually, they'll be known also. In our culture today, let me just warn you, many families find out very interesting things about their loved ones in the first few months after they pass away. We think that all these technology things are very private. You'd be surprised what people find out a few months after somebody's gone. And this is a caution for all of us. Me, you, everybody in the room. Almost all of our behavior is eventually known. Either in this life or somehow in the next. We should think about this. We should consider this. While Paul is giving these specific instructions to Timothy about widows and pastors in this passage, there's a lot in this passage for all of us to think about and remember. First, treat others like family, especially in the body of Christ. Treat them like family, real family in the body of Christ. Make sure no one goes uncared for in the body of Christ, especially widows honor pastors who labor at their calling, which Fellowship of Grace does very well. And remember, both our public and our private behavior will come to light. Be careful, be very careful, as though someone were always watching us because he is. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word we are so thankful for your kindness, your love. We're so thankful for the way that you have shown us how to love one another. Help us, God. Help us to treat one another like family. Help us to relate to one another and, and uh, uh, love one another, even if we have to talk about difficult issues in a way that's honoring uh, to you and encouraging to each other. God, help us to care for our widows well. Help us, even as we grow, not to let any of them kind of fall through the cracks or, or kind of disappear without us realizing or noticing. God, help us to uh, really uh, think about um, honoring our pastors and help us continue to do that well. Uh, bless Fellowship of Grace for already doing that well. And then, Father, we pray that you will uh, help us, help us to remember that everything we do will eventually be seen. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually it will. Help us to remember that you are always watching us, that we can hide nothing from you. And so God, help that to motivate us. Help that to motivate us to just really think moment by moment about what pleases you. Give us the strength and the ability through your Holy Spirit to do it. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, who hasn't yet crossed over that line of faith, who hasn't become a part of the family of God, Father, I pray that before they leave today, they would talk to one of the pastors, one of the leaders here, and that we would be able to share with them and show them how they can know you, how they can have their birth certificate, their spiritual birth certificate stamped today and be a part of your family. God, we thank you for this church and pray that we will bless one another as we bless you and try to bless others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.